Amen. This morning, we are going to talk about the town of Capernaum, a significant town in the New Testament, the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was the home of Jesus during his time of ministry. We don't hear that when we hear people preach. We always think of Bethlehem and we hear of Galilee, but Capernaum was a town inside of Galilee, all right? It's a village called, the, name, the meaning of it is the village of the prophet Nahum, okay? Keep that in your mind, the village of the prophet Nahum. Capernaum is situated, you can put the map up there, it's situated on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so we see Capernaum toward the top, the northwest of the Sea of Galilee is in the middle, that little, I don't know why they call it a sea, it looks more like a lake because it's surrounded by land, but anyway, they call it the Sea of Galilee in the middle, and then the straight line down is the Jordan River, okay? So the Jordan River we know is where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, right? And then after he left that, he went into the wilderness, came out and went to Galilee, it's on the highway from the Mediterranean coast to Damascus. So we have the Mediterranean there on the side. I can't, my sense of direction is terrible, so I can't say if it's north, south, east, or west. I'm going to say it's west, I think. And Damascus is northeast of there. So there was a highway that went through. So we had a lot of people traveling through from the Mediterranean up to Damascus or back down. So a lot of foreigners went up and through through uh, Capernaum. It had a small port for its population of fishermen. So it was a place that people came to get food, okay? The fishermen were there, there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of fish, you know, in the, in the sea. And in the circa 350, after the resurrection of Christ, Capernaum was known as the seat of the sectarians, meaning people who all thought alike, okay? The sectarians, we all do these things alike. So we know that the impact that Christ had there was so great that people called Capernaum, oh, those, everybody that lives in Capernaum are those people who follow the way of Christ. His impact was so great that, you know, sort of like uh, maybe Nashville now, if you go to Nashville, like there's Bible stuff everywhere and, you know, Nashville, you just got to be holy if you go there, right? <laughs> it seems like. Anyway, I've only visited there once. So Capernaum was like that. It was like a, a city known for Christianity around uh, 300 years after Christ's resurrection. So the first question is, why did Jesus choose to live in Capernaum? So in Matthew 4, 12, all of my scripture is taken out of the Living Bible because it's easy to understand. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. But soon he moved to Capernaum, beside the Lake of Galilee, close to Zebulun and Naphtali. So, you know Jesus' cousin, John. He had a kindred spirit with John. John is the only person in the Bible who says that he had the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, right? And of course, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he was of the Holy Spirit too. So they had like spirits and they were cousins, they were family and they were set aside for the work of God. So you know they had a real connection. Well, Jesus had gone to the Jordan River and had been baptized by his cousin and his cousin had declared, hey, this is the man. It's time for me to decrease and for him to increase. So Jesus had to, being a human, 
had to deal with his cousin decreasing and him increasing. He knew it was the will of the father, but he still had feelings like we all have. So when he heard his cousin was in prison, I believe I'm thinking if Jesus was me, sometimes we just have to make a new start, right? Now we know it was all in God's plan because Jesus says, I only do what the father tells me to do. I only say what the father tells me to say. But we know that God directs our lives and moves our lives, even through our emotions and through our choices. You know, he's, he's leading and guiding. So Jesus says, okay, let's take our ministry over to Capernaum. In Luke chapter 4, 14, we're going to start at 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, this is after he had come through the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil. He first went back to Nazareth, his boy, boyhood home. He went as usual to the synagogue on Saturday and stood up to read the scriptures. The book of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him and he opened it to the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to announce that captains, captives shall be released and the blind shall see, that the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors, and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. He closed the book, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down while everyone gazed at him. And then he added, these scriptures came true today. Okay, so think of Jesus was not a punk. You know, he went in that, in that uh, temple, had come from the wilderness, said, I'm the man, closed his book, <laughs> said, but you heard, that's, that's me. Everybody looked at him like, who in the world <laughs> does he think he is, right? <laughs> he closed the book. He said, scriptures came true today. All who were there spoke well of him, were amazed by the beautiful words that fell from his lips. They said, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? So his first intent, like most of ours would be, was to go home. He had been through the wilderness and fasted and resisted the devil's temptations and the angels attended him. He said, oh, I got to go home. You know, used to that place. His mom was there, his brothers and sisters. He went home. And the people looked at him. He said, he, I just came, I'm sure he said, I just came from the wilderness. I've been fasting for 40 days. The devil came. He tempted me. He said, you know, do all this stuff. And I, I resisted with the word of God. And then the angels came to attend me. And he read from Isaiah. And he says, I'm the man. And they said, hmm, isn't this Joseph's son? Okay, let's keep going. Then he said, probably you will quote me that proverb that says, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, why don't you do miracles in your hometown like you did in Capernaum? But I solemnly declare to you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. For example, remember how Elijah the prophet used a miracle to help the widow of Zarephath, a foreigner from the land of Sidon. There were many Jewish widows needing help in those days of famine, for there had been no rain for three and a half years. And hunger stalked the land, yet Elijah was not sent to them. Or think of the prophet Elisha who healed Naaman, a Syrian, rather than the many, many Jewish lepers needing help. These remarks stung them to fury. 
So they became offended at him. And jumping up, they mobbed him and took him to the edge of a hill on which the city was built to push him over a cliff. Now they had just been amazed at what he said and then said, hmm, isn't this Joseph's son? Now they said, oh, we're about to kill you. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to fool yourself. You got to get out now, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't his time. He walked through the crowd and left them. Then he returned to Capernaum. Okay, you see why he couldn't live at home? <laughs> he returned to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and preached there in the synagogue every Saturday. So he wasn't just an itinerant preacher. He was a regular speaker every Saturday, every Sabbath in their synagogue. Here, too, the people were amazed at the things he said, for he spoke as one who knew the truth instead of merely quoting the opinions of others of his authority. So he had a, a supernatural authority about him, spoke the truth. The people became insulted, tried to kill Jesus, but his time had not come. So he returns to Capernaum, living there and teaching every Sabbath. Now let's switch to the miracles that were done in Capernaum. And I just wrote down the scriptures. I don't know if you have them up there, but Luke 4 verses 33 through 36, when Jesus is speaking in the temple at Capernaum, demons started to scream out saying, we know who you are. And Jesus just cast them out, told them to be quiet. Didn't have to lay hands, just told them, get out. After he leaves the temple in the word in Mark chapter 1, 29, verse 29, he goes to the home of Simon one of his disciples and his mother-in-law is sick. And they ask, oh, will you please heal my mother-in-law? This is all in Capernaum. And he goes in and he heals the mother-in-law and she begins to attend to them and serve them. Then in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 14, this is in Capernaum, a Roman soldier comes up to Jesus as he's walking along, a foreigner, a Roman soldier, and he says, will you heal my servant? And Jesus says, yes. He says, no, no, you don't have to come. If you just speak the word, he'll be healed. And to a foreigner, not the Jewish, he said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. Because of your faith, your servant is healed. We go on to learn that uh, some of the disciples also lived in Capernaum. The ones that were called from there were Peter, Simon, his brother, Andrew, James and John, sons of thunder, and Matthew. Now, Matthew was called in an interesting way. And Matthew was a tax collector who, who worked for the government. And uh, for those of you who may not know, the tax collectors often collected more than they were required to collect. So they were like bullies. They come in and say, okay, this is what the government allows, and you got to give me some more, or else I'm going to say you didn't pay your taxes, right? So people hated the tax collectors because they were crooked, like, you know, some of our officials are today. So as Jesus was going on down the road, this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. He saw a tax collector, and his name was Matthew. He was sitting at his tax collection booth. He said, come, be my disciple. This is a notorious sinner, criminal, okay? So we have everybody that fits the bill. We've got Roman soldiers, 
okay? Somebody who has high rank, Jesus does great miracles for him. We have a mother-in-law, somebody who takes care of a family and attends to their needs. Jesus does a miracle for her. We have a demon-possessed person, somebody who's been through a lot of stuff in their life and they can't get over it. And they're in, they were in the temple, so they must have been trying to get over it. They weren't trying to stay away from God. And Jesus said, come on out of him so he can be made whole. We have every issue that we deal with now in Jesus' time, okay? So we have the notorious criminal, and he says, come and be my disciple, Jesus said. And Matthew jumped up and went along with him. And later, as Jesus and his disciples were eating dinner at Matthew's house, there were a lot of notorious swindlers there as guests. A lot of sinners, a lot of criminals, you know, a lot of street walkers and pimps and carjackers and bullies <laughs> in the house because like spirits hang together, right? If you're a Christian, you're in a church and you're married with children, you usually hang around with other Christian women in the church who are married with children. If you know, if you have problems with lying and cheating, you usually hang out with other people that have problems with lying and cheating. It's just like spirits are joined to each other, right? So it just seems natural that a lot of criminals and swindlers would be in the house. And Jesus comes in as a guest and the Pharisees were what is he doing? Why does your teacher associate with men like that? Because people who are well don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who do, was Jesus' reply. Then he added, now go away and learn the meaning of this verse of scripture. It isn't your sacrifices and gifts I want. I want you to be merciful. That is the word of the Lord to this house today. It isn't your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful. For I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. I'm going to say that one more time. It isn't your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful, for I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. So, members of Life Church, there will be people that you may consider sinners who will be in the house working, working, working in high-profile scene positions. You will see them working. And I can hear it. I can hear it right now. Why are they allowed to do that? It isn't your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful. For I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. Amen. If the shoe does not fit, don't wear it. If it does, say ouch, yeah. <laughs> if it's too tight, say ouch. Amen. From there, we go on and we see in Capernaum, Jesus returns to Galilee. This is Mark 2, 
verses 1 through 12. It says, several days later, he returned to Capernaum, and the news of his arrival spread quickly through the city. Soon, the house where he was staying, so he had a home there, was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for a single person more, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So he was always teaching, always preaching the word. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his, above his head and lowered the sick man on his stretcher right down in front of Jesus. I love this story. I love this story because, like I said before, this man was paralyzed on his stretcher, so obviously he couldn't help himself. But he had four friends that said, we will do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus because we love you much, that much to see that you're healed. And if you notice, they had to climb on top of a house. Now, okay, we know that the houses at that time were not really big like they are now, but it was still a house. It was still taller than they were, and they had to carry a paralyzed man up the side of the house. So when they get to him and they, they have to first get, try to get through the crowd and realize they can't get through the crowd, okay? So then they look at the house and they say, hmm, how are we going to do this? Not, we can't do this. Not, can we do this? Not, are we going to do this? Is hmm, how are we going to do this? And they said, okay. We'll, we'll climb up the side of the house. Now, how do you get a stretcher with a paralyzed person up the side of a house to the roof? You know, they had to have had a time. They had to use some ingenuity. They had to work together. They had to, I don't know, put some sticks together to make a ladder or something, but they had to get him up there on the top of the house. And then after that, they had to dig the hole in the roof of the house, and then they had to lower him down so that he wouldn't fall and they kill him, you know, <laughs> trying to get him to Jesus. You know, they had to be careful lowering him down. They worked as a team. And what I learned about that is if you're not willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done, to get the sick people to Jesus, you don't need to be on the team. If your attitude is, oh, it's too many people. I'm not carrying this sick person up the side of the house. Oh, my God, we got to dig through the roof. Then we got to let him down so he don't fall. If your attitude is, how can we do that? We don't have what it takes. <laughs> I got to go over there and find some wood to put, to put together to make a ladder. If your attitude is, can we even do that? I don't, I'm too old to do that. I, I don't even know if I like this guy that much. Then you don't need to be on the team. All right? Your attitude has to be, how are we going to get this done? We know that this is the goal. We know that this is what God wants us to do. We know God wants this man to be healed. He's, he's been healing all these people up and down the street and in the synagogues and everywhere. We know he's got the power to do it. How are we going to get him to, there, to, to him? Okay? So if you're, if you're on, a, on a team today and that is not your attitude, get off the team. All right? If that's not your attitude, get off the team. If you can't work together, it won't work. Working Together Works. I have a theme song. I will not sing it for you, but it's called Working Together Works. I sing it to my family sometimes. They don't like it. All right. <laughs> oh, when Jesus saw how strongly they believed that he would help, Jesus said to the sick man, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the Jewish religious leaders said to themselves as they sat there, What? This is blasphemy. Does he think he is God? 
for only God can forgive sins. Well, I thought the Bible said, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And whosoever sins you don't forgive, they're not. And I think he was talking to us when he said that in the word. Ah, so we do have the power to forgive sin, don't we? Amen. I guess they didn't read that part of the Bible. But anyway, Jesus could read their minds and said to them at once, why does this bother you? I, the Messiah, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. But talk is cheap. Anybody could say that. So I'll prove it to you by healing this man. Then turning to the paralyzed man, he commanded, pick up your stretcher and go on home. You are healed. Well, the man jumped up, took the stretcher, pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. And then how they praised God. Well, we've never seen anything like this before, they all said. That's the goal. That's the goal. For people to come in and be healed. And we can, all, all we can say is, we haven't seen anything like this before. Praise God. That is the goal. Amen? Amen. All right. So all of that stuff happened in Capernaum. Now, you see, Capernaum wasn't a really big town. Probably, you know, could have been about the size of here. Usually, I lived here 18 years, so you could know just about everything that was going on in the city nowadays, you know. And back then, it was word of mouth. You know, people talk. They didn't have all the distractions we do with all the electronics and everything we have to do. So they talked all the time. So, you know, people knew what was going on. The power of God was in the city. They knew that. So now we know a lot about Capernaum, but what is the significance of the place being called the town of Nahum? Remember, that was the meaning of Capernaum is the village or the town of Nahum. Nahum was a prophet who preached about 100 years after Jonah. Now, we know the story of Jonah. Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh to tell them to repent. Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh because those people are wicked and no telling what they do and I don't care if they die, so I'm not going. So he went the opposite way and went on a, sh a ship, a boat. And the boat, there was a storm came up and the boat started to sink and all the sailors said, uh-uh, somebody's, somebody's not living right. Who, who is it? And Jonah had to speak up. He said, it's me. I'm not obeying the Lord. So they threw him overboard. I'm saying this for all the people who may not know the story. And so he, he was swallowed up by a big fish where he repents, of course, because anytime you're living inside of a big fish, I think you would repent. <laughs> so after he repents, the, the Lord allows him to spit this fish out. And he says, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. Well, he goes to Nineveh and he tells them, God said, repent or you are going to be destroyed. And they said, okay, we'll repent. And Jonah said, see, I knew you were going to forgive them. Dog, get on my nerves. Right? So he went and sulked and was mad. But the city repented. The only problem was they fell back into their old ways. They had an evil king, and his name was Sennacherib. And he came against Israel. Israel was divided, Israel and Judah. He came against Israel, and he overtook lands and territories. And he was very, a very bloody king, and he looted the people. And he, he forced them to uh, serve false gods okay so he caused the people to turn away from Jehovah and forced them to serve false gods so this is about a hundred hundred years later and Nahum it's the second prophet comes and he says okay your time is up 
Nineveh will be destroyed. Nahum is the seventh book of the minor prophets. So if you want to read it, it's only about three chapters long. He says, your time is up. So Nineveh, if you look today, is, is no more. It is destroyed. And sources say that it was destroyed by fire. A fire and a big flood of some sort came. So there's nothing there of Nineveh. Okay? Nahum pronounced the fall of the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. Assyria had to fall because its king Sennacherib was evil. In Nahum chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Woe to Nineveh, city of blood, full of lives, crammed with plunder. All this because Nineveh sold herself to the enemies of God, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty, then taught them all to worship her false gods, bewitching people everywhere. Under King Sennacherib, Nineveh had invaded numerous territories and forced the people to worship false gods. Nineveh had been spared the first time through Jonah's prophecy because they repented and God forgave them, but they fell back into their old ways of thinking. So when Nahum comes along, he declares that Nineveh's time is up. God has a righteous standard, and those who don't heed to it will be condemned. Now remember, this is the Old Testament, okay? So God, we were, they were under the Old Covenant. Their time was up. Just like the, the people in the wilderness, God took care of them for so long, then after a while he said, your time is up. Your, your time is, is, is up. That was the Old Covenant. We live under a New Covenant now. So we have the mercy of God through the blood of Jesus upon us, amen? So now if we don't uh, turn to God and do what he says, Praise the Lord, the, because of the blood of Jesus, he, don't, he doesn't strike us down. But what we do is we harm ourselves because we walk outside of the covering of God, of God, you know. So we harm ourselves. We make poor choices because we're not following the Holy Spirit, which brings lack and disease and eventually death upon our lives. Amen? Amen. So now we fast forward to Jesus. So from Nahum up to Jesus, we see Jesus coming to live in Capernaum. A village fully aware of the power and the mercy of God. They were fully aware because this village was the town which Nahum lived. And they knew the stories of old. So they knew what Jonah had done. They knew that God had told Jonah to prophesy against Nineveh. And Nineveh repented. And they knew that Nineveh went back to their old ways, and they knew that Nahum had prophesied against it again because he lived in their town. Else they wouldn't have named the town after him, right? So they, they knew about all this. And then they saw Jesus come, and they saw Jesus do all of these wonderful things there. And they had heard that a Messiah was coming, right? And he, only, he didn't only speak to the Jewish people, but he, all, all the foreigners that came through, he healed them and blessed them. So they, it, they knew it didn't matter if you were Israelite or not. They knew he was powerful. But then they knew he was merciful. They knew that he even sat with sinners and went to their homes and, and fellowshiped with them. And he knew that when uh, harlot women, he, he forgave them. And so they knew he was merciful, right? They knew the power and the mercy of God. 
The people of Capernaum accepted the miracles or the powers of God. Remember, when he called out the demons and uh, when he healed Peter's mother and when he walked on water, which was also right off of Capernaum, they were like, yeah, yeah, this is good. But when it came to the mercy, when he heals the man on the Sabbath day in the, in the synagogue, oh, that's when they started to plot to kill him because he was too merciful. So uh, is that crazy? The people say, oh, you can be powerful and do all this stuff. But, you know, there's a limit. It comes to a point. You don't, you don't give all your gifts to people who don't deserve it, right? And, and, and if it's not the right time in the right place, then you control yourself. Don't just go crazy. You know, this is the Sabbath, and we are in the synagogue, and it's time to, to, to teach. So, you know, that person just needs to wait, you know, to another day of the week to be healed right? When it came to that, they said, oh, no, we, we got to kill him now. He's got to go. Good Lord. How about us, Life Church? How about us? We've been through a time of exaltation. This is before my time here, but I hear this was a grand place to come in worship. All kinds of people came, all kinds of services, all kinds of pomp and circumstance were here. We've been through a time of crushing been through a time of rebuilding. Now we're in a time of renewal. We have to decide, church, if we're going to be stuck in the past, mentally, stuck in our self-righteousness, what we think is right. Are you ready to move forward? Remember, anyone with his hand to the plow looking back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. That means you won't be able to perceive God's ways. You won't be able to see what he's doing because you're always looking back. Let's repent. Repent for not looking forward to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Amen.